An interesting thing happened to me this morning at breakfast. An ancient master came to me and spoke to me while I was mindfully folding up my placemat. I wanted it to look a little better than it had been. I, it's all cattywankas and out of shape. And I wanted it to look more like others and neat and in a row, however. And I was being very careful. And then out of the blue, this voice came to me and it said, what is all this picking and choosing about? It was this, this kind voice. And then an image of a monk, big monk, gray outfit. And um, so what is all this chick picking and choosing about? Maybe it was Sozan Zenzi himself who appeared in my mind. He was the third ancestor of China and wrote Affirming Faith in Mind, which we often chant. The great is, way is not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. When preferences are cast aside, the way stands clear and undisguised. This is gratitude, Sashin. So what was this message about? It's very interesting. So the message is encouraging us to have radical trust in the practice. Radical trust in the path, in the Buddha way, and radical trust in ourselves. This seemed like kind of an auspicious encounter <laughs> breakfast this morning. An encounter with an ancient sage. And maybe it's for all of us here at Sashin. And maybe there's a message for us all. What's all this about picking and choosing? The great way is not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. But we're talking about, so that's just a, some background, I think, for us to, to look at gratitude. What is gratitude? Simple definition is gratefulness, thankfulness, thanks, Appreciation, recognition, acknowledgement, tip the hat, regard, respect, a sense. Sometimes it's a sense of obligation and indebtedness. We often talk about a debt of gratitude. Here's a little more expansive definition by Robert Emmons, who's studied gratitude a lot. A felt sense of wonder, thankfulness, and appreciation for life. So there's a quality of being thankful. And then there's a readiness to show appreciation for and return kindness. Appreciation is the word I like to start with. First step is bringing your attention to what you appreciate. What Fuho said yesterday was look. He said, look, appreciate, open the heart, and then express what is appropriate. And that's, I said, I'm going to talk about the same things, but I'm going to go around the block a few times before I get there. <laughs> so if you want the short version, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so 
The first step is to bring your attention to what it is that you appreciate. So to prepare for this session, I started doing a number of gratitude practices. And I was surprised to find that I had a, a gratitude journal from about 2014. And I don't, I don't remember ever starting it or why I did it. But gratitude practice is infused throughout our teaching. So the practices are not hard to run into in this tradition. It's an important contribution to your practice. It's essential to your practice. So one practice that I've been doing off and on, I've done it twice now, and I mentioned it the first morning, was this 32 parts of the body. I did a guided meditation with it. And when I started, I had no idea that it would become a gratitude practice, but it has. It's an old Theravadan practice. It comes from the Satipatthana Sutta. And there's a, quite a number of things that I learned from this that I'll, I'll talk about here. So that you can see how gratitude can seep into any type of practice. 32 parts of the body, first of all, when we listen to them, head, hair, body, hair, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinew, bone, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, liver, spleen, heart, liver, uh, <laughs> spleen. I've got them all mixed up now. Lungs, lungs, large intestines, small intestines, stomach, feces, brains, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, Tears, grease, saliva, mucus, oil of the joints, urine. You may say, those are the craziest 32 parts of the body I've ever heard. And that was kind of my first reaction. Those aren't even body parts. <laughs> so it was very interesting to look at my fixed views and kind of arrogant ways of how I think things should be classified. And kind of poo-pooing that this ancient practice would be any use to me. So all of those things got wiped away. I did have some feeling that this practice could be important. What's sent down to us, what comes through the ages, is this practice was an important practice for young monks um, to address lust. But I was interested in another direction. I wanted to make friends with this body and to learn to appreciate all the many complex parts and systems and to experience that and not just read about it. So I did very little reading. I kind of like the idea of memorizing all these strange body parts. I, it's, not a, it's not one of my best skills. But I was curious if there, they had a method to do it, and they certainly did. The 32 parts of the body is actually a chant. And the practice is divided up into 32 weeks where you chant forward and backwards in different groupings. 
So when I first did the practice, I just started the chant and learned the whole thing. And I didn't follow the process exactly. But what I found was that it was very grounding. And that verbal repetition quieted the mind. So when the pandemic struck, for some, I just naturally gravitated to doing it again. And I took it up for four, four or five months. And often I would go out and walk and repeat it. Head, hair, body, hair, nails, teeth, skin. It works very good with walking. I would go out alone during the beginning of the pandemic when there were very few people on the streets. And we would cross the street so we wouldn't run into each other. And I'd walk and chant. And I learned it backwards and forwards. And then you can take up learning it in Pali. So several things happened. My squeamishness, or maybe even revulsion about certain body parts or fluids, diminished. And almost just completely left. And I began to appreciate the body and its complex workings. And at one point, when I was chanting them over and over, because you chant them, it's about a 20-minute chant. You just you do it five times forwards, five times back, five times forward and backwards. But after a while, it was like they all merged into one. And it reminded me, if you remember the story of, uh, well, in my day it was called Little Black Sambo, but now I think it's called The Boy and the Tigers. And he went off in jungle in India and had new clothes, and the tigers wanted all his clothes. And they took all his clothes, and they were fighting and running around the tree, and they turned into butter eventually. And then he took the butter home, and his mother made pancakes. And that's what the, the, just brought that image up for me when I, in a chanting way, that the body was just one continuous motion of parts and workings really could see the interconnectedness of all things. And so part of this practice is also to investigate each body part, where it's located, its function, its color, where it's, who it's next to. And then I began to send loving kindness to each body part and appreciation. And that moved into a gratitude practice. So one of the questions that people would ask about this practice is, why those parts and not other parts? No one really had an, an answer. And you know that all the sex organs are gone. They're not mentioned. But then I realized that also no eyes, no ears, no nose, no tongue. None of those are mentioned. And um, as I thought more about that, it became apparent that if we, those are the sense organs, are the things that we most identify with, with this body and this person, this me. I can see, I can hear, I can taste, I can touch, I have thoughts. And then the rest of the body parts are kind of, I don't know, we forget all about them. We say, oh. <laughs> Once in a while, we'll think about them. We hurt ourselves or something. 
But so when with those body parts that are the senses, with those eliminated, then we investigate the rest of this body and really look at the functions. And we let go of that constant self-view. And you have more of a, a little more of a detached appreciation for the individual body parts and this collective human form. There's a lot of other little bugs and microbes and things living with you. <laughs> That's a very interesting part. You're, just, you're not alone. This body is full of all kinds of surprises, and, but it's, it's our home. We uh, occupy it along with other things. And it's, it's amazing and it's wonderful that all those other parts work automatically and we don't have to say, pump the heart. Beat, beat, beat. We don't say breathe, breathe, breathe. It all just goes automatically. So this is what's said about the 32 parts of the body practice on their website. Um, the methodical practice of the 32 parts of the body meditation can help one penetrate and understand the true nature of the body. It can help to see impermanence and comprehend the body is made of four primary elements, earth, air, fire, water. Earth, solidity, air, motion, fire, temperature, water, liquidity. Practicing the 32 parts of the body can help build immense levels of concentration, increase the potential for self-healing, and allow one to experience the taste of deep freedom and peace. was brought, was, uh, introduced in the West from a monk in, from Burma, Tumpula Kabahai Sadeda. He says, this meditation is one of the most eminent among the Satipatthanas. The meditation on the body is unlike any other kind of meditation. It is brought to light and taught only in the time when the Buddhas arise. So with this body practice, I think, oh, generosity is thought of as a heart practice. So it's interesting to look at it that way. We look at the heart, we see that it weighs less than two pounds, one pound. It's less than a pound and has four chambers. It's hollow and muscular, contractile, 10-ounce organ. It's the center of our circulatory system. It pumps over 300 quarts of blood an hour and beats 100,000 times every day, some 37 million times a year. human heart creates enough pressure to squirt blood 30 feet. It's clear across the endo. <laughs> but the heart is not in the shape, uh, I mean, our human heart is not in the shape of the Valentine heart at all. <laughs> Just so you know, I wanted to make sure you knew that. But what's interesting, it is in the shape of a lotus seed. 
So we have some connections. It's not the seat of emotions such as generosity, but we often feel that the emotions, that there's something happening here in the heart region, and we have a lot of expressions for that. Heartfelt from the heart, wearing your heart on your sleeve. And we use it a lot in our, we hear it a lot in the Buddhist teachings. We often talk about the heart of wisdom, the heart of compassion, the heart of practice, the heart of Zen. So I'd like to look at this heart a little bit more that contains gratitude. And later on in the week, we'll look at the heart of generosity. So looking at an imaginary heart of, genera- uh, of gratitude, I'm struck by how large the chamber would be. So if there's four chambers of the heart, I would think of one in the Buddhist sense, heart of wisdom, the heart of compassion, heart of generosity, and the heart of gratitude. So in my imagination, it's, I'm struck by how large it is, how many folds there are, how many nooks and crannies there are. There's a large expanse to explore. And some areas may have been blocked off, or they're so dark you need a light to illuminate those unexplored areas. Or you may need some kind of tool to help you open up new territory. This heart of generosity is very deep and ancient. It's not a new part added to the body as a recent evolutionary change. It's as old as human form. And it could be found throughout nature. Not just us, not just humans. We may add a human quality to it, though. We often think about aggression, competition, basic fight or flight tendencies are kind of hardwired due to our evolutionary history. But it's important to remember that positive qualities like empathy and gratitude are also part of that history. Margaret Mead said that the first sign of a human civilization was not art or music or tools or pottery, but a broken leg that has healed. In a time when a broken leg would mean certain death, if a person had a healed leg, then it meant that others in the group cared for them, showing kindness, empathy, caring, and perhaps even gratitude. Gratitude is one of the fundamental, important parts of human life. And how did we end up with it as part of our social relations? It's an old question. It's one that I had as I was pondering gratitude. And it seems that Darwin himself suggested that humans and other animals share the same emotions, even some complex ones such as jealousy and gratitude. Suspicion, not always 
positive ones. And at least for gratitude, it might, he might be right. So there's an interesting experiment that was done with chimpanzees where they had two chimps. Two chimps had to cooperate to get a tray and to get a reward. So they watched the chimps and they thought that any two that came by would help each other. But that's not what it turned out to be. It ended up that the chimps who helped each other had some sort of a cooperative relationship before. And so they helped each other again. And it points to this concept of reciprocity. Reciprocity may be fundamental in the evolution of gratitude. And in this use of reciprocity, I'm not speaking about quid pro quo, where I'm going to do this for you and we're negotiating this. I do this, you do this. But rather, it's a relationship, interconnected and interdependent, where we have a human connection of kindness and helpfulness. And when we do it to one, it comes back to us. And we can see this reciprocity in a lot of other uh, examples. One that we know a lot about is the the reciprocity mammal humans have and, and other animals have with plants. It's very clear and present example of reciprocity between animals and plants. Photosynthesis and respiration are two essential processes that allows life to sustain, be sustained on Earth. In a way, it's their cycle. Plants help animals breathe by providing us with oxygen. And humans and animals help plants breathe by providing them with carbon dioxide. So if we have this reciprocity, is there a way that we show gratitude? I wanted to mention another little experiment that was interesting. This is with humans. Um, so they did an experiment where they had two couples, a partner, two partners, and they were um, divided apart. And one partner would get $10. And they were told that that was given to them. They divide them up. And some of them got it by chance, and some of them got the $10 because their partner gave it to them. So, not surprisingly, individuals who thought their partner had given them the money were most likely to distribute the money back to their partners when they, had, when they got a chance to do that. And those who got it by chance just kept it. And when they asked, why did you give the money back? Why did you donate the money? They would say, to express appreciation. So the money was, when they knew the, where the money came from, they wanted to express appreciation back. When the money just came as a random good luck and chance, they kept it. So interesting how we build that relationship so easily.
we can see that may be the same true thing that happens with the, like the chimp experiment. They could express gra they can't express gratitude verbally, but returning favors may be the way that they express gratitude. And maybe that's how we express gratitude too. Of course, we don't know all the different languages of animals and plants. We're kind of so self-centered that we, we think that we're the only ones with language. So we don't know how other, other beings express gratitude. So how can we express gratitude in other ways than language? It sounds familiarly like a koan. So part of what we may want to do is develop a deeper understanding of how other species communicate. How do plants express gratitude? How did the Buddha express gratitude towards the tree that he sat under during his enlightenment? The historical Buddha, or Shakyamuni Buddha, was a grateful Buddha. Following his enlightenment, the Buddha stood without moving his eyes as he meditated under the Buddha tree as a sign of gratitude and of thanks to the tree that had sheltered him during his struggles. You might think that's a small acknowledgement this gesture is a small acknowledgement for support and shelter, and it's not a very big deal. But just imagine if you had just had an awakening experience out in the forest. Would the first thing that you did do after that awakening experience be to stand and silently acknowledge the trees that supported and sheltered you? Or would you be running in here? <laughs> <laughs> telling everyone what happened. Just think what awareness and presence of mind that would take. This points directly to the interconnectedness of all things. It points directly to how we're intimately connected in many, many different levels. And it brings up this interesting question of reciprocity. So this heart chamber that we're investigating, this heart chamber of gratitude, is getting deeper and deeper and wider. From the precious Mir Samadhi that we've been chanting this session, One on the verge of realizing the Buddha way contemplated a tree for ten long kalpas. What was going on there? <laughs> the importance of 
our earth and us. We're so intertwined that we can't continue to think that we have dominance over the earth. But we are part of the web of life. And we can learn from all parts of this web. And we can show gratitude. When you were a young child, your parents or your teachers or your grandparents or someone taught you to say thank you whenever anyone said something nice to you or gave you a gift or complimented you or helped you in some ways. You learned about receiving and what was the appropriate way to respond. You may think now, think back, who taught you to have gratitude? And perhaps extend gratitude towards them. And help others learn about gratitude in this long line, long continuum of practice. It's not we're learning, we stand on the shoulders of the ancients and we, we are extending ourselves so that the next generation can continue on. We're just part of the long stream and the flow. Gratitude should be cultivated as a habit, not dependent on conditions. This means that you should practice gratitude not just because you got something you wanted or had good luck, but better, but rather as a mindfulness practice, becoming aware of everything, large or small, that, has ha- that is, is happening in your life and a practicing appreciation in a way that is appropriate to the situation. Small things are just as important as large things in many cases. So there's two parts of gratitude. Awareness of the support or help that has been given you, and then giving thanks for what you have received. In Zen Buddhism, even an empty bowl of rice, rice bowl, empty rice bowl, is something to be grateful for. So especially if you're the one that emptied the bowl. Gratitude for fortunate events that come our way are easy to express. A cool drink of water after a long run, a good night's sleep, a filling meal, a bonus at work, those are easy to express gratitude for. The difficult part is cultivating gratitude for the mundane things and even for the more difficult things in your life. So it's it's even harder to cultivate gratitude for difficult people and circumstances. The chamber of gratitude in the heart has many 
places to explore. So in the Buddhist teaching, gratitude plays an important role, especially when talking about a person's integrity. According to the Katanu Sutta, gratitude, Buddha said, monks, everyone who's listening, I will teach you the level of a person of no integrity and the level of a person of integrity. Listen and pay close attention. I will speak. The Blessed One said, Now what is the level of a person of no integrity? A person of no integrity is ungrateful and unthankful. This ingratitude, this lack of thankfulness is advocated by rude people. It's, it's entirely on the level of people of no integrity. A person of integrity is grateful and thankful. This gratitude, this thankfulness is advocated by civil people. It's entirely on the level of people of integrity. So integrity is having a firm adherence to a code of moral or artistic values. If you want to be considered a person with sound moral character, Buddha then teaches that it is essential to be grateful and thankful. It's, an, it's essential to practice gratitude in order to be an ethical person. And gratitude is a sign of spiritual progress. Gratitude is built into our session throughout the day, through service, through chanting, through our meal chants, our work. But does gratitude lose importance when we leave Sashin? It's important to think about this. How can you bring gratitude into your life every day? A few other comments about gratitude. It develops patience. There's a close gratitude-patience link. People with a strong sense of gratitude are more likely to be able to delay gratification, passing on small rewards for the larger rewards. So practice, practicing and developing patience, practicing and developing gratitude go hand in hand. Gratitude is an antidote to greed. Greed often comes from a sense of not having enough, or at least not having as much as everyone else has, so it seems. Gratitude assures us that what we have is enough. Greed and gratitude cannot peacefully coexist. The same goes for many of the other negative emotions such as jealousy, regret, resentment, cannot coexist with gratitude. 
loving kindness and gratitude. I look at those as two peas in a pod. They naturally arise together and are practiced and can be practiced together and are practiced together. When we send goodwill to ourselves and others, it's easy to add appreciation. So the Buddha said that there are two people that it's not easy to repay. In other words, to show gratitude or appreciation for what they have done for us. And which two? It's your mother and your father. He has an interesting long, not too long. It says, even if you're able to carry your mother on one shoulder and your father on the other shoulder for 100 years, and we're able to look after them by anointing, massaging, bathing, and rubbing their limbs. And even if they sat on your shoulders and defecated and urinated right there on your shoulders, you would not be, you, you would, you would not in that way pay or repay your parents. If you were, if you were to establish your mother and father as absolute sovereigns over this great earth, abounding in the seven treasures you would not, in that way, pay or repay your parents. Why is that? Mother and father do much for their children. They care for them, they nourish them, they introduce them to the world. So this precious life would not be possible without your parents, even if you have a difficult relationship with your parents. Without them, you would not be here. Hogan and Chosen's teacher, Maizumi Roshi, who's also a founder of Great Vow Zen Monastery, proclaimed, talked often about appreciating this life. So we can appreciate the people who brought us into this life. We can appreciate this life we can appreciate a larger life. All part of gratitude practice. So Maizumi Roshi said, I encourage you, please enjoy this wonderful life together. Appreciate the world just as it is, just this. There is nothing extra. Genuinely appreciate your life as the most precious treasure and take care, take good care of it. So please explore deeply this important chamber of our hearts, the heart of gratitude, and see that it does not stand alone, but is intimately connected with other hearts, other hearts of humans, hearts of plants and animals, the heart of this very earth and the heart of this whole universe. Please practice well. <laughs>